It's too early Tuesday. Yeah, got to stick with the alliteration somehow. Welcome to the podcast daily. That's Bill Landis. I'm Austin Ward. And it's that time. The transfer, transfer portal deadline for departures is closed at Ohio State. The NFL draft deadline has passed. There may still be additions to this roster, but for version 1.0 of one of the best things and one of my favorite things that Bill Landis does, we can dive into a depth chart. We're going to start on offense. Uh, with the starting lineup and go through what we think may happen. Again, knowing that this could change. This is version 1.0, and Bill Landis is the go-to for that. So take it away, Bill. I think I ended up doing like five last year um, at Rivals. We didn't do five versions on on the podcast, but I think written versions, I ended up doing five. Uh, I could see myself doing at least that many (laughs) in in the build-up to to this season Um, because I do agree with you. I I do think that um, Ohio State will will likely end up adding to the roster maybe after after spring ball, similar to last year. Like you know, go through spring, assess things, and then see see what you might need after that point. Um, but I don't know, at least on the offensive side. Like I think I think we're in a pretty comfortable space to be able to project um, what this team will look like, at least as it goes through spring ball. So um, should we start with the quarterback because it's most obvious, or should we start with the offensive line because it's most interesting? I think we can start with the most obvious. Let's okay. work from there. Everybody wants to hear about the quarterback battle. And we did get questions. Um, I know of at least one. I sent some messages back on subtext. Uh, if you want to subscribe, that number is not down below, um, which would be helpful because I don't have it memorized. But we'll we'll get to that or, or Bill will drop it later on. But you know, the, the question that was asked was like why we were so convinced that Devin Brown was not going to be able to supplant Will Howard after his arrival. There it is. Uh, you can join there for free, get a two-week trial. It's awesome. Uh, we had a conversation, and I'm and I'm taking that feedback that we dive into um, the Will Howard and Devin Brown conversation, which we've we've made the point like Devin Brown is sticking around. He wants to compete. He has an opportunity to do so. Um, we saw him develop and grow from August and through December, 614-662-4509 is that number down there uh, if you want to join us on subtext. But to me, it comes down to not just the obvious part, which is the guy's got four years of experience in college, Will Howard. He's won a Big 12 championship, and then you bring him out of the portal. You assume that there's some sort of promise to do so. I think if you look at the the physical tools plus that experience, I, I, that's got to be a differentiator. I, I expect it will be. That doesn't mean it's guaranteed to be the case, but I think if we're sitting here on January 16th, it's kind of hard to imagine that Ohio State didn't bring Will Howard in to be the starter. Right, and like that's that's why I, you know, maybe, maybe we could have asked Will about that competition, but I it felt almost like a waste of a question to me because I think we all know what the score is here. You don't you don't go out and get a guy like Will Howard unless you think he's going to be the starting quarterback. Now, Devin Brown is a talented enough player to do something between now and uh, whatever camp uh, breaks to make you think twice about that. And and I'm not, I'm not necessarily being dismissive of Devin Brown. He's clearly got to make some strides and one got to get healthy. Then two, when he's healthy, make, make those strides. But um, you know, it's not like, well, Howard is a really good quarterback. Um, And I think there's a, a lot of reasons to be excited about what he could be in this offense. I guess it's not unheard of or, or, or out of the question that Devin Brown could legitimately push him and make this an interesting competition. But if I'm to project the depth chart at this point and 
you know, every point moving forward until we see or hear something different, um, I'm going to project Will Howard as, as this team's starting quarterback. And I, w- I would think that everybody would. Um, but that's not like, that's not saying there won't be a competition or that he won't have to earn it. Like, this isn't necessarily a Justin Fields situation where he came in way more talented than anybody else in the room. And it was patently or, or blatantly obvious that, that he was going to be the starting quarterback, even if Ryan Day you know, had a little gamesmanship going with not necessarily naming him the starter right away. Um, but to your point, like you don't, you don't do stuff like this in this era of college football, unless you think the guy you're bringing in is going to be your starter. So that, that is certainly my projected starter at quarterback is Will Howard. Yep. Mine too. And we'll see what happens once they get back out there on the field. It is unfortunate when we think about our evaluations of, of Devin Brown and, and I don't know, exactly how much this plays into it for Ohio State, but he got robbed at the end of spring last year when he had the hand injury. He goes through the battle in camp. He that, he emerges from that healthy, but then by the time that it looks like in October, may, maybe there's more room for him to grow in that red zone package. He has the high ankle sprain and then says he's 100% going into the Cotton Bowl, and that's the opportunity for a breakout, and he gets one quarter uh, of action as the as a starting quarterback for Ohio State. So um, we know that that's impacted all of this up to that point, uh, Ohio State made the move knowing all of that. And Devin Brown also made his choice knowing that Ohio State was involved with Will Howard. So it'll be fun to watch. Uh, I think we're going to get the same amount of practices to watch in March and April. That's some of the early conversation. And if so, five chances to see Will Howard and Devin Brown and maybe 2.0 would look different. But I am with you. I don't expect it, uh, at least not at this point, to look any different than what we think. Yeah. So I guess we'll move the running back then. Um like I, I would just say, I mean, I would probably list them both, Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Junkins, like as a slash as a starter. Uh, my, my more expanded thought is like I, I don't know that it matters so much who, who number one is, because I think they're gonna split that workload pretty evenly. And like Dallin Hayden, who we talked about the other day, will will be in that mix as well. I, I assume like you can you can get three guys touches if we're to think that that's going to be their top three running backs, but. Um, if I had to list one at running back, I guess I would, I would probably list Travion just because he's been in the program and has, has quote unquote earned that by, by being a guy who's been in the program and been productive when he's healthy and is certainly, you know, running back one material. Um, but I think the reality would be a shared workload. So, you know, and I think everyone understands that. So whatever, whatever your cup of tea there is, I guess on, on how you prefer your depth chart projections to look, um, I, I would list them both as co-starters. And if you held me to, to one, I would I would put Travion with the understanding that they're co-starters. Yeah, nobody likes seeing the or cop outs on the depth chart, but I don't I don't really think that there's any way around it. I do think that that will be the setup for Ohio State. And you know, you can look at them, they're really they have a lot of complementary qualities. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like down in the red zone, you're gonna want to hammer with Quinshawn Judkins, probably more than Travion. And it's not because Travion's not capable of doing it. We've seen that many times that he will definitely lower his shoulder pads and seek out contact and drive through it. He can do that. Should he? If Judkins can take that load, great. Uh, Once you get out in between the 20s and you want the explosiveness and the chance for a home run, I feel like Travion is probably more equipped to do that. Again, it's not because Quinshawn Judkins cannot. We have seen him do that against SEC caliber competition over the last two years. But if you piece them together and you play to their strengths, and you have 1A and 1B and Thunder and Lightning or however we want to talk about it for the next you know, nine months, I mean, you're in a great spot. I think we've made that 
really clear that this was the ideal outcome for Ohio State's backfield in terms of raising the ceiling. Not ideal, maybe necessarily, if you want to see Dallin Hayden get a ton of carries and and a big yeah. leap into the lineup in year three. You know, in some ways, that's unfortunate for him because I think we'd all like to see that he's made the most of his opportunities to this point. But again, if you're if you're zooming out and saying you might play fifteen or sixteen times, Ohio State's going to need all three. Yeah, they they will. I I, I have no doubt that, that Dallin Hayden, if he chooses to stick around through through next season, and and that's not me. You know, reporting anything, just you know, wonder wondering about the the world that we're in. Um, I think he'll I think he'll get touches just because you know Ohio State wants to play, you know, all the games next year, wants to get to the playoff, and wants to win a national championship. So you'll you'll need more than just the two, and I think I think they'll all understand that. Um, receiver. So it's Mecca Abuka and Carnell Tate, and I am comfortable at the moment projecting Jeremiah Smith as the third starter. Oh boy, what, I what did is, not know. What is your appetite for for something like that? Not there yet. Uh, I I know it won't be a surprise to you or anybody who listens to the podcast daily. I am the last one annually to jump on board and say this true freshman is going to do it. And last year, I did get like almost the whole whole way there with Jelani Thurman after a great spring, Mm -hmm. and and then I was like, oh wait, that's why I don't do that. It's really hard. And again. You know, somebody brought this up a couple of weeks ago that like, well, Alabama had guys out there that were true freshmen and they're not will, un, opposed to doing it. I'm like, I mean, Caleb Downs is, is an exception to the rule, but he, there were times in September where Alabama kind of paid the price for that. You can look at other positions and where they struggled. Like, it's going to be very hard to win a national championship with true freshmen playing meaningful snaps. I'm not saying it can't happen or that it shouldn't. And I'm not saying that Jeremiah Smith is not going to be a factor for Ohio State because I definitely think he is. But if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna sit here and question or project a depth chart, right now I would say Carnell Tate and Emeka Ibuka on the outside and Brandon Ennis in the slot. That's probably fair, um, and I actually think it will be more of like a four man thing and possibly even a, a five man thing than we've seen the last couple of years. Like I, I, I understand not rotating a ton when you have Marvin Harrison Jr. out there, but you don't have him out there at the moment. Yeah. So I think you can get away with it. I'm looking up to see. Uh, so like Garrett Wilson as a freshman played a lot, but was never actually a st- like he never actually started a game. Um, but he was still playing. He played 29 snaps in his first game. He was over 20 snaps in every game. He ended up playing 457. Um, by the end of the year, he was playing like 35 against Michigan, 43 in a Big Ten championship, and 35 against Clemson. So maybe that's what Jeremiah Smith's freshman year looks like, where he's not ever officially a starter, but is playing significant reps, like enough for us to believe that he is a an integral part of the offense. But um, maybe that trio that you mentioned starts. That that's that's probably the fair way to look at it because he it's Jeremiah Smith is a is a freak. Like I think I think he is a unicorn. Like we throw that word around a lot. I actually think it is applicable to him. Um, but Ohio State has other really good receivers, and like Brandon Ennis is one of them. And he had climbed the depth chart in a pretty significant way as, as a true freshman. So if you're going to say to yourself, like, I think Emeka will not be playing as much in the slot as he has the previous three years. Maybe he moves outside more. Brandon Ennis is obviously a natural replacement to, to take up some of those slat, slot snaps. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe your starters, the three who are out there for the first snap every game are the Mecca Buka, Carnell Tate, and Brandon Ennis. But I think, like, if you want to go by snap counts, I don't know. 
I think I'd be comfortable saying that there won't be a tremendous amount of difference between the snaps that Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes get and the snaps that Jeremiah Smith gets. You, you may well be right about that part because if you you have the ability to move Emeka into the slot if need be, and if that takes Brandon Ennis off the field, then Jeremiah Smith can go in the game. Or he can go in the game for Carnell Tate, and you can leave Ennis and, and Emeka out there. Like That's probably right. I don't dispute that part. I, I always have it in the back of my mind. If we're talking about like this is what Ohio State will look like when they start the year. Like This is the opener. This is what the depth chart is going to look like. I remember, and you do too, those conversations about Garrett Wilson during his freshman year, like a month into the year, and they're just doesn't understand it yet. You know, we, we don't trust him yet to go out there and do it. He can't block anybody. Yeah, okay, that's true. But at some point, you don't want your most talented, freakish targets just sitting on the bench. It's like I, I, I understand that part of it too. And I'm I've seen Jeremiah Smith in person, and it's a sight to behold. He's gonna play. He's gonna play a lot. Um, but in the middle of January, I'm just going to be, you know, a wet blanket and throw it <laughs> over it and be like, just have a little bit of patience. I, yeah, maybe I'll be wrong this time. Certainly wouldn't be the first time. Do you, let me ask you a different way. Do you think if I say the clear top four are going to be the four guys we're talking about, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I don't okay. think, and that's, you know. We've seen three years of Jaden Ballard here, a couple of years for these guys that have stuck around. You know, uh, they've not been able to break through because of injuries. That next class, like, it hasn't been completely wiped out yet. And it very well, you know, could have been, or you would have understood why. Uh, but I don't see anybody in that in that next wave that's ready to step into that that lineup. You know, Jaden Ballard had has had his chances. They trusted him on some special teams work. He was certainly out there in, in the Cotton Bowl, you know, and I don't, I don't know if we can hold it against him that he wasn't able to make one play on a deep ball that Marvin would have caught. But, you know, this conversation about his development and becoming a, a complete receiver has been going on for a while. And hey, it's never too late to happen. But if I'm projecting that forward for the depth chart, I, I just wouldn't have him in there. So in 2019, which I actually, I actually think could end up being like a, a really good um, kind of baseline for what to expect. KJ Hill played 677 snaps by far the most of any receiver. And then uh, Chris Olave played 509. Ben Victor played 504. And Garrett Wilson played 457. So if you think that Emeka Ibuka is the Chris Olave in that scenario, then I think the next three down could look very similar to you know, the next well, three down of the season. I mean, out of that group, I would say. I would say he's the KJ Hill, like because of the versatility involving him in the rushing attack, using him in multiple positions. Like KJ probably couldn't play as much outside. Did as I not say that? Did I not say KJ? I meant to say KJ. I think you called him the Olave. Which okay, uh, I meant to say KJ because I, I I agree with you. My bad. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Scrap yeah. it. On you're right. Next. You're right, and I agree with you. Sorry, I said Perfect. the wrong name. Unless I uh, heard it wrong, but and maybe that possible. happened too. Someone yeah, else can rewind it 30 seconds ago and tell me which one of us got confused, but we agree. We agree. KJ Hill, Hill is a Mecca Ibuka. Yes. All right. That's right. Perfect. That's right. Um, I was a little torn on tight end because initially I was just like, probably will Keck Merrick because you went out and got him to bolster the position. And like G Scott did some nice things for the offense, but I, I don't think that G Scott is necessarily tight end one. Um, I think he's a nice tight end too. Um, 
but I also can't get Jelani Thurman out of my head. <laughs> so like, I, we've always talked, we've always talked about like, it's a developmental position. It takes a long time for guys to get their feet under him. Um, Jelani ended up doing like next to nothing for the offense this past season, which was a little surprising to me. So it makes me not want to project him to be the starting tight end in 2024. But then I just like play back some of those moments we saw in practice and think to myself, well, like if it all comes together for him, I think he's definitely going to be the starting tight end. So like right now, I, w- I would probably still say Will Keckmerick, the, the transfer from Ohio University. Um, but I can see myself going back and forth on this quite a few times between now and when the season starts because of Jelani and, and maybe like even G might do something to surprise us um, as we build up to the season. So I, I don't know where you're at on this position, but I'm a little torn. Definitely torn, but I do think right now I would go the other way and give back into the impulse to put Jelani Thurman as okay. the starting tight end. And I mean, clearly they got Will Keckmerick for a reason. And, and it wasn't just to be, you know, a pure blocking tight end and the third guy in the mix. Like this was pretty clearly targeted. They feel really good about what they saw in film and they project that forward. When when people in the Woody say, this guy's got a ceiling that may be above Cade Stover. That's not generally the way they talk about their roster. So yeah. that counts a lot, counts a lot for me, but not enough for me to say that Jelani can't do it. And it, you referenced the spring practices and then some of the other things that we saw throughout the course of the season. I think about like Tuesdays when we would be in there after Ryan Day's press conference. And we would always talk about Marv and the guys that were on the Monarch, but the, the coaching staff and not just Keenan Bailey, but you know, the rest of the support group that works with the tight ends and the offense, there would always be somebody walking around with Jelani Thurman. I think that there is a real investment and push that's not just from the coaching staff into Jelani Thurman, but into Jelani Thurman becoming a star for Ohio State. I think he's willing to put in that work. Every time we see him, it looks like he's gained 15 pounds of muscle <laughs> and two inches of height. I don't know how that's possible. But I don't think the knock on him being unable to maybe make the freshman impact that I would have talked about in August was that he couldn't block or was unwilling to do those things. I I think he's got the physicality and the mentality and the willingness to all do that. I think it was a little bit more about taking the next step as a receiving threat for him, which was, it seems counterintuitive, but that's sort of the way I understand it for year one for Jelani Thurman. So if he's got the blocking part down and you're into year two understanding route concepts and targets, that's where I think the jump comes. And that's why I think he's out there. He's probably going to be more advanced in terms of what he can do as a blocker than G Scott, just by the nature of the way that they are physically G's gone. He's done tremendous work to grow and develop into that position, but the highest ceiling is Jelani. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to bet on right now. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm going to be very easily talking to Jelani being tight end one. So like, <laughs> uh, I, I think everything you said is, is correct about him. Um, and I'm excited to see how it plays out in, in the spring. That's like, I know it's not always the sexiest position in Ohio state's offense, but I do think it's, it's one of the more interesting spots to watch as, as we build up to 2024. Well, Cause I think, I think they always, they always have huge springs, Bill. Like we, yeah, they do. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. We're so, going to be well, talking they, about, we're going to talk about all three of them having 30 catches by the end of April. Like yeah. That's going to be the- That'll be fun. I look forward to it. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's wrap up with offensive line then, I guess. Uh, I think, I don't know that that center in the left side requires a ton of conversation. Like, I think it's pretty clear. It's Josh Simmons, a left tackle, Donovan Jackson at, at left guard, and Seth McLaughlin at, at center. Do you agree with that? 
I agree. So, so then it's what's happening on, on the right side. And my opinion is that Josh Fryer and the offense would be better suited if he moved to right guard. Um, and then what do you do at right tackle? And I'm actually pretty okay at the moment with seeing what you have in Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola. And maybe that's like more of like a weird three-man competition for the two spots on, on the right side, if you can kind of piece it together that way. But last spring, it felt to me like they were trying to pick from not a ton of great options and and clearly like didn't have much of a succession plan as they were trying to figure out some spots. Like to me, Tegra Shabola is a third-year guy who was like a borderline top 100 player in high school. And Luke Montgomery is a second-year guy who was a top 100 player in high school. I think it's okay that those guys are now like competing for for a starting job. So I'm I'm in the same boat with everybody who who would like to see Ohio State add another offensive lineman, if for no other reason than to bolster the competition there and, and have some more like Ohio State type bodies and, and players on the offensive line. But I also think it's quite possible that the answer to the right side of their offensive line is already in the program with two of those three guys. So um and then if it ends up that you go through spring and you don't feel that way, then, then I guess you can address it. But um, it doesn't feel as, um, I don't know, like as untenable of a situation, I suppose, as it did at this point last year. Like, I think there's reason to like Tegra and Luke and maybe be a little more bullish about what Josh Fryer could become if he kicks inside from tackle to guard. Yeah, I would like to see Josh Fryer at right guard. And I, I think there's even a world where if you're talking about spring and a, and a three for two, it may be more than that. I mean, quite honestly, because if you want to, if you, if Carson Hinsman is not yeah. going to start at center, maybe you consider him as an option at guard. Maybe you consider Austin Saraveld or Josh Padilla for the, like, you can put everybody into this right side basket. That's not the way that you build a roster, and that's not the way you would go through training camp when you're trying to, you know, get ones and twos. But this is going to be a period of experimentation, and I think, to your point, you can find a solution out of those guys. I, the The recruiting has been back on an uptick. Uptick is it 100 percent done? I mean, no. Um, but the situation that Justin Fry inherited compared to what it's turned into after two years is the depth has returned. The talent has been on the rise. I think some of our perception of Ohio State is clouded by a decision that maybe we didn't fully understand and poor execution, both in the Cotton Bowl. And I brought this point up last week. Like They were pretty good against Michigan. They were not great. They needed to make one more play, one more block for them to potentially win and go on to the playoff. But compared to what Alabama did, I think that that was good, good enough-ish, like not... Not not good enough to win the game, but 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 close enough that it was better than most opponents against Michigan. So, if you're still building with that group with four returning starters, um, three three returning starters and one Alabama starter, um, plus another starter who could play at guard, that's a pretty good spot for them to be in because I think that Tegra Shabol and, and Luke Montgomery are going to be Ohio State ready by August and September. So. It's hard for us. To, you, you have to pick somebody for a projected depth chart, knowing that you could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I would put Tegra there at right tackle and Josh Fryer at right guard. And and if I have to revise in March, I will. 
Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. I, I still wonder if Tiger to me feels a little similar to Josh Fryer, where like he's maybe best suited for for guard. And I actually might think that of everyone we're talking about, but like one of them's <laughs> gonna have to play tackle. Right. Uh, I, I I guess. And it's like it's different in college. Like you can you can get by in college without playing like a prototypical body type at at the tackle position. Ohio State's national championship team had a defensive lineman playing right tackle. So like you can <laughs> you can you can figure it out. Um Thank you for mentioning Carson Carson Hinson, by the way, because I did I did overlook him, and I do think I think he can play guard. I I think they'll look at him at guard, and I think that'll be you know just just more competition there. I think like I, I don't I'm on in zero way on alert for Ian Moore to like push for a starting job when when he gets here, but I do think he might be physically ready enough to again just to like increase the competition there. I know they really like George Fitzpatrick, who's been going through a little bit of a physical transformation, so. If you if you think center to the left side out is is good, then you have, you know, maybe four, five, six guys you can kind of throw in there on the right side and spring ball afford you that opportunity um, to make it really competitive, try to get the best out of everybody with the hope that you assess that and, and think you have a, a starter caliber or two uh, kind of player there. And, and if you don't, you you can address it after the fact, like Ohio State did last year with with Josh Simmons. But it does feel like, it's, like you said, it's not it's not perfect. And there's more work to be done um, in terms of like personnel, just building up the offensive line, making it deeper, um, maybe bringing in some some higher end talent. But but I actually do think they're in a significantly better spot at this point now than they were at this point last year. But maybe that's just me being a little too high on guys like Luke Montgomery and Tiger Shabola. I, I actually do think they might be able to find um, you know a quality right side of the offensive line out of their available options. All I hope, and I'm not a coach, and I never pretend to be, is that I would like to watch a group of five that is clearly this is what this is what Ohio State currently thinks is the starting lineup. This is what they think is the current second team lineup, because it just felt strange to me, uh, primarily in August. I don't remember this really happening happening that much in the spring when they were doing these split squad things, and you're like, well, uh, Zen Mahalski is starting at right tackle over here, but he never really was mentioned beyond that as like being in the battle. Like, because I don't know that if you were asking me again, as a not coach, I've just not seen other programs do it that way. Cause you're trying mm-hmm. to develop chemistry with five and evaluate like, well, is this the piece that needs to be changed or that piece needs to be changed and then do that and then experiment and see how that goes. And I'm not saying you don't use spring or even August as a chance to tinker and experiment. Cause you absolutely do. And you should, but the, I think the way Ohio State went about it last year just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, that's saying that by the end of the year, I thought they were better than they were clearly in September. Mm. But, you know, I, I just, I'd like to see a more traditional approach maybe to evaluating it. Because I think that not only will that help me, which is the least important part of this conversation, <laughs> but I feel like it would help the players on the field. Yeah, I, I think it would too. It, it seems like it would be hard to, um, foster the um cohesiveness that you need from an offensive line when you're doing things that way and my hope would be that because there is a little bit of certain i think there is certainty at left tackle left guard and center that maybe there's still going to be some experimentation and moving guys around but if it can be sort of like hyper focused on right right guard and right tackle or maybe just right tackle um that it'll feel like a little less discombobulated than it was last year for a lot of the time yeah but it gave us a lot to talk about, and yeah. 
we're doing that again with uh, version 1.0 of the offensive depth chart. We'll get into the defense, which is probably not going to have a ton of debate. Um, maybe we'll manufacture some. That's that's yeah. what people love to do, right? Um, no. I mean, it's fine if we agree because I think it's got the potential to be the best defense in the country. But we'll get into that uh, later on on the podcast daily this week. That'll be a wrap on a too early Tuesday version of the podcast daily looking at the offense. Appreciate Bill Landis, as always, for his insight and uh, and some good old-fashioned debate. Not manufactured at all. Trust me. That's right. For, For Bill, I'm Austin. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later.